to everyone else who works here. Um, yeah, and I'm really excited to be here in a, an official kind of capacity. Um, and so one of the things that I'm working on is helping us organize kind of Sunday morning teaching and, and giving us a direction. And so the thing that I chose, which I thought was pretty awesome, is the narrative lectionary. It's, I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago just really briefly, but I wanted to go over that again because it begins today. Um, it, it's actually a really neat lectionary that started about four years ago uh, with some folks at Luther Seminary, and they decided that because the Revised Common Lectionary, the, the lectionary that a lot of mainline churches use, um, it has Old Testament scriptures, but most of the time when you preach, you're usually preaching out of the gospel text or one of the epistles. And so uh, folks in the churches oftentimes miss out on learning about Old Testament teaching and how the Old Testament is so foundational for us as believers in Christ. Um, so the narrative lectionary starts off um, from September to December with Old Testament texts. So we're going to get that. Um, and it, it's got a like essentially a nine-month cycle, which is really interesting because then in the summer we get to do these other different kinds of studies, and they give us some cool options. And so when we get there, we'll, we'll talk about those and make some decisions about that. But we get to focus on the Old Testament until Christmas, and then it's Christmas text. And then from January to mid-April, for this year, we're going to be focusing on the Gospel of Matthew. And so each year is a different gospel. And so we've started back on year one, which is Matthew. And so then next year it would be Mark, and then Luke, and then John, um, which is different from the Revised Common Lectionary because usually John doesn't get a focus until Easter time, where there is a little bit then. And then from mid-April to May, we've got focus on the early church. So we've got stuff from Acts and different epistles. And then, like I said, in June June to August, the focus is like these four-week, three- to four-week studies on some different books or different kind of concepts in the scripture. So this is the narrative lectionary. And so we will be teaching from this most every week um, unless the teacher decides that they're doing something else or we have like a, a special speaker coming in because uh, Jennifer Johnson will be back with us in October. And so she'll be speaking one week and I'm not going to make her talk about the text. I want her to be able to talk about Africa because um, I know that that's something that we want to hear from. So essentially this is the direction we're going in. And I think it will be really cool and kind of stretching for some of us who haven't taught Old Testament, especially in a long time or have never taught that before. So um, I think it'll be a cool adventure for us too. And I think it will meet that need that we have to be able to become more biblically literate as a community. We want to know the, the stories of the scriptures and know them well. And some of the stuff like what we're going to be talking about today is Noah and the flood. Okay, like we know that story from kid, being a kid but how do we understand that as adults um, and as young adults? So um, I think it's be interesting. Okay, go ahead. Yeah.
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going anywhere after the nine months is over, just to let you know. <laughs> I won't have to keep doing meetings and get graded by school. So there's that. Okay, so that was just your little introduction to Narrative Lectionary. Um, We will be getting you guys those texts in advance. Quinn and I had talked briefly a couple weeks ago about posting those somewhere for everybody. And some of the things that you could do in your house church and in your family is once we've read a text or talked about it on Sunday, using that as something that you do together after for that week after so like dig into the text a little bit more together and so we can all engage with it as as a community um and i'm going to be hooking you guys up with some resources too as to how you can use those in your devotional life as well as soon as i find all of it because i hear i'm on this facebook book um, group for the narrative lectionary and people are kind of talking about these things and i'm not really sure what they are so i'm going to keep digging and try to find them for you so Everybody has access to those resources. So there we go. And it's asleep. There we go. Okay. So we're going to be talking about the flood story today. Um, We all have some presuppositions in our minds about the flood. Now, Here's just a few questions that I had. You know, what what do we know about Noah? What do we know about the, the state of humanity in this whole story? What do we know about the animals and the flood itself and the dove and the rainbow? Like, just shout out some of your responses to to this. Like, what do you think of when you think of Noah and the ark and the flood? Okay, promise of the rainbow. Two by two of those animals, like nursery walls. Like every, almost every church that I went to as a kid, like there had to be a Noah mural on the nursery somewhere. The return of hope with the olive branch. Right. It's a huge level of obedience, especially when, you know, people in the community were not exactly supporting Noah's choices, (laughs) to put it mildly. Anything else? Clean animals and dirty animals. I think it was Josh that kind of talked about some of that several weeks ago. And it'll be interesting, too, because some of the, the text that I think... Yes, the text that this highlights doesn't have that aspect in it, but I'll talk about that a little bit. Okay. Yes, Julie. Okay. The renewal, the uh, renewal of creation is is a way that I'll talk about it later. Yeah. What's that? Faith. Absolutely. Anyone else have any other thoughts about Things that they think about Noah or it comes to mind. Well, Quinn, can you click on my link there and we'll see if it actually opens the YouTube thing? Oh, and it does. But we might have to have a commercial because you know how YouTube is. Oh, that's 
You just have to listen. So. Only two. Only two. We find Noah pulling up the last two animals, two hippos, and he's really in a hurry to get them up because he's afraid that the Lord's going to call him and ask him to do something else, and his nerves are shot. This is one heck of a job for a man 600 years old. <laughs> so we find him pulling up the last two hippos, and of course the Lord does call him there. Come on, fat hippos, hurry up. Come on, will you please? Noah. What? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Gotta take one of those hippos out and bring in another one. What for? Because you got two males down there and you need to bring in a female. I'm not bringing nothing in. You change one of them. <laughs> Come on, you know I don't work like that. Hey, well, I'm sick and tired. Of this. I've had enough of this stuff. I've been working all day, working on for days and days. I'm sick and tired of this. Noah? Yeah? How long can you tread water? <laughs> I'm sick and tired of this whole mess. If I've done the whole neighborhood's out there laughing at me, we're all having a grand time at good old Noah there. I went out and got my best friend Larry. I said, Larry, listen, I've been talking with the Lord. Larry said, Oh, really? I said, Yeah, yeah, listen. Lord Larry, Larry Lord, you walked off there laughing. I hear them all up there laughing at me. You know I'm the only guy in this neighborhood with an ark? People around there laughing, picket signs walking up and down. I'm sick and tired of this stuff here. People are walking around there. How you doing, Tarzan? How's everything? <laughs> Sick and tired of this mess here. You're supposed to know all and see all. You let me go out there and bring in a pregnant elephant. You give me no manual for delivery or nothing. Never told me the thing was pregnant. There's good old Noah waiting underneath the elephant there. Boom, right on top of the all that stuff for you running around you're supposed to know all and see all like I said before you let me go out there and do all this stuff here you never even looked in the bottom of that ark have you looked down there no who's gonna clean up that mess down there that's <laughs> me I'll tell you that I've had enough of this stuff. I'll tell you what I'm gonna do I'm letting all these animals out and then I'm gonna burn down this ark and I'm going to Florida somewhere cause you haven't done nothing I'm sick and tired of all this mess you're fooling around and you haven't done nothing as you got it raining <laughs> It's not a shower, is it? Okay, Lord, me and you, right? Because I knew all the time everything was up. That's actually the shorter version of his whole routine on this. It's like 12 minutes long, and I was like, yeah, be like the whole message time. But... I mean, obviously, Bill Cosby does a really good job kind of contextualizing Noah's story for us and helping us to understand the f- level of frustration it probably was for him to have this job. You know, he was, he kind of just built stuff, and then all of a sudden now he's into animal husbandry, and that's not really his role, and he's confused. So let's just read um, that first section. Actually, no, we're going to talk a little bit about the backstory. So when I was looking at the text, I was like, all right, we're in Genesis chapter six. Creation was in Genesis chapters one and two. So how much time has happened here until God has decided that the world is so wicked that he has to destroy it all? Um, If we look at the generations from Adam, because there's a little genealogy 
in chapter 5 um, between Adam and Noah. Uh, there's nine generations there. And this is where, you know, you get Methuselah and some of those other guys that have lived for an extraordinary amount of time, according to what is recorded in the scriptures. And so if we, if we take those actual lifespans as what it says, that's about 1,500 years. I mean, that's pretty crazy for nine generations to be 1,500 years. So there, there were some things in the commentaries about how maybe those folks didn't actually live that long, and it was a multiplication of years, or it had something to do with how long their clans were in power. Um, kind of interesting. So it's sort of keep that in your mind when you're reading that text, that they may not have actually been, you know, like 932 years old or whatever when they passed away. Um, so it could be up to 1,500 years from creation to Noah. All right, so we've got some historical flood evidence in the Mesopotamian region that there was a flood around 3000 BCE. But the problem is, is that that flood record isn't that that flood was so extensive that it would have seemed to Noah like it was the entire world. So it's possible that this flood could have happened as early as the end of the Ice Age, which would have flooded the whole region. Um, so that was about 10,000 BCE. So we're, we could be talking about a story that's really, really, really old. And it's been passed on for a thousand generations, maybe, before it was written down. Um, so this is ac- it, what's interesting about our flood story in the Bible is that it doesn't exist in a vacuum. There's other flood stories that were written in that same era, um, in the Mesopotamian region, and one of them was the Epic of Gilgamesh, which some of you may have heard of before. Uh, the, another story is the Antahasis Epic, and they both date to around 1600 BCE. So just to give you a clue, they were all written around the same time. But there is some definite contrast between the biblical flood story versus that those epic flood stories. Um, And one of the things that Tim said during worship today is how we worship one God. And that was, that's a huge contrast between the biblical flood story and the Gilgamesh epic and the Anaharsis epic. Those stories had multiple gods. And some of it, the reason why the flood happened is because a miscommunication occurred between the gods about how they were going to be relating to people. Um, And there's, a much more interplay between the gods and the humans in the epic stories than there is in the biblical story, where there is a god that's wholly separate. And the reason why that there there is a flood is because of the sin and brokenness of the world. So there there's some similarities and some differences. So this, the biblical flood story, the Hebrew version is speaking the language of the culture of the time, but they are telling a slightly different story. So I think that's important for us to know before we kind of jump into this. So those are things you probably didn't learn in Sunday school when you were, you know, like eight years old. So you can keep that in your back pocket. And I have a feeling that Herb might dig into this a little bit more in the future, knowing Herb and the questions that he asked me. <laughs> so um, there is books and volumes and volumes written about the dating of the flood and how it could have happened and what it actually looked like versus what we have the epic story of it. So... Okay, so here's our first section. Miss um, Genesis 6, 11 to 22. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how the corrupt the earth had become, 
for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make a lower, make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has life or breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. So I have some words that are highlighted. There's like neon looking in this light. Um, so the words corrupt, corrupt, corrupted, destroy, and destroy. And what's interesting in the Hebrew is that the word is the same. So what humanity has done is corrupted the earth. And God's response is to destroy. So corrupt and destroy are the same concept in Hebrew. So um, what this kind of portrays to us in the language is that the punishment fits the crime. And you'll see that a lot in the Old Testament where it's, it's a, the response is equitable to the, the initial action. And so God is compelled to respond to humanity's corruption by destruction. Um, and, you know, when we read this story, I think we're, when we get older, we're looking at it, and we understand that God needs to respond to sin by, by meeting that sin and, and starting anew. But I think it gets harder for us when we start to see the world in black, less in black and white and more in gray to receive this story as, like, you know, is God really good? You know, what, how, how violent and corrupt was the world? What does it mean when, you know, the previous passages kind of goes into more detail about what was wrong? with humanity at this time um and having all these you know every thought was wicked and but why did he choose noah so if every thought was wicked why did he choose noah or like just getting all these questions about you know why why not now why shouldn't we be destroyed when you know we see so much death and destruction and and violence occurring um What's interesting is I looked up the Hebrew word for violence, and it's Hamas. And I was like, oh, yeah. I mean, that's pretty timely. (laughs) There's an organization in Israel that does violent acts, and their name means violence. Um, Like, we we still have that now. And so it kind of gives you pause, like, wait, okay. Maybe humanity was kind of always like that. Um, and so what we experience on a day-to-day basis now isn't really something new. Um, but, God, but God's response, there's always, there's always like an out. There's always some sort of 
olive branch, like Angie was talking about, that's, that's extended. And, and the extension of that olive branch was to Noah by giving him an instruction. And he was obedient, like Judy said. Um, and, and I think we see that even in the story of creation when Adam and Eve sinned. God didn't destroy everything then. He did send them outside of the garden. He sent them outside of paradise. And they had consequences of their sin, but they were given so much. I mean, they were given, God gave them clothes. And he gave them a way to make food for themselves because they couldn't just go to the garden and, and just eat of everything. Um, there, there's always something that God is trying to do to restore that relationship, even if people aren't exactly willing or open to it. Um, I, and I think looking at this story and seeing, okay, well, the response to the corruption is destruction. Um, God's response to our corruption is not destruction anymore. God's response to our corruption is Christ. And so we don't need to live under this, the old covenant anymore. And so it reminds me so much of how, how thankful I need to be of God's forgiveness through Christ. Um, and it's a beautiful picture. And God is always making a way, and that's amazing. And so even in this destructiveness that God has because he cannot be a part of sin, um, he cannot have that because he is holy, he still is making a way. Okay, so after this section, um, it kind of goes into lots of detail about how things are supposed to happen. So Noah's initially told that he needs to have animals two by two, but then he's told in the next chapter, okay, yeah, you need to have more of those clean animals. And the the purpose of that was in order for them to be able to make sacrifices at the end of the flood. So they need to be able to have enough of those animals available. Um, The thing I think I knew intellectually, (laughs) but didn't really connect the dots until I read this a million times, um, before this talk was that they were all vegetarians before the flood happened. And so all these animals that they're taking onto the ark, they didn't eat any of them. And so in this part where it says, take it, take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Well, that was all plant life. Um, so they had to make sure that they had enough of that for the animals and for themselves. I mean, just even that was an incredible amount of stuff to be taking onto the ark. Um, it, what's also neat about what's happening here is that it reminds me a lot about the creation story because Adam's first job was to walk with God and to name the animals. That was his vocation. And so Noah's job is now not to name the animals, but to take care of the animals. And he's in community with God because God has called him out to be the one, to be the kind of standard bearer of humanity as they're going forward. So it, there's a reflection in that in the, in the creation story, in the flood story. So the turning point of this whole thing happens in chapter 8, verse 1, and it, where it says God remembers Noah. So before that, he's building the ark, he's getting all the animals together, organizing everything, the the flood, the water starts coming, it starts raining, it starts flooding, it gets really, really high, they get up to the top of the mountain, and God remembers Noah. 
and then the water starts receding. It Well, at first it stops raining, and the water starts receding, and then you can see the top of the mountains, and then you get to the aspect where he sends out the raven, and then he sends out the dove, and then he sends out the dove again, um, and then he, he comes back. And so um, if you read the story like that, it, it, it it's reaching that peak where God remembers Noah, and then it's decelerating again. And so you, you've got that... Um, climax of the story is God remembering Noah. Um, I think that's the point. <laughs> um, and it's not that God forgot Noah. He just remembered that he made a promise and it's time to let creation begin again after it's been destroyed. And so God remembers us in the same way that he remembers Noah. And he remembered us in Christ. And so creation begins again when we are remembered through Christ um, in our daily lives. So let's, let's keep that. That's, if, I, if you take anything away from today, God remembers me in Christ, just as he remembered Noah. And that's the beginning of something new. That's, that's your connection today. So after the waters receded and they were able to get off the ark, they made sacrifices. God never told Noah to make these sacrifices, but he just did it of his own accord. I mean, there's got to be an incredible level of thanksgiving that when you've been on an ark with animals for 300 plus days, that you can get off onto dry land and you're going to burn every clean animal you possibly can um, to be so thankful to the God that has rescued you from total destruction when everything else around you has been destroyed. Um, And so then... What happens is that they're given instructions to repopulate the earth. So this is, this is the, the meat of the covenant. This is the first covenant God is making with humanity is through Noah. So be fruitful and multiply. If you've ever heard that before, that's where this comes from. Is, you know, God has destroyed all of humanity, so now we need to repopulate the earth. And we've got all the animals to be able to continue to repopulate the earth. And what I think is neat about that is that the animals were a part of that covenant, too. And all of creation is in that covenant. Um, Several weeks ago when I talked about Romans 8 and that covenant that Paul was talking about is also with all of creation. So all of creation is broken, and it was broken at the fall. But again, our call to repopulate and rejuvenate and recreate is for everything. It's not just humans. God recognizes that it's all broken. So that that puts an onus on us to um, be good stewards of our creation. So it's not just about us. It's about everything. There we go. Okay, so this is after what he was talking about, being fruitful and multiplying. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Now I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I will establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. 
I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So the rainbow does come, and it's a reminder. And it sounds like the way that this is being written is that it's a reminder to God and a reminder to us, um, which is kind of interesting. So it's like, does God really need reminders? Or is it really a symbol of that commitment and that covenant that was made with us way back when Noah was around? So what does it mean for us? Sin's ugly, and it deserves punishment. Um, I think that's kind of our first takeaway. I think we can't just look at the Noah story and go, oh, look, God saved all the animals and this person, and look how happy they are, like the giraffes sticking their heads out of the ark. No, it's not that. I mean, the reason why they were in the ark in the first place is because humanity decided to take things into their own hands, and it got really ugly, and it was selfishness and sin that took over hearts and minds, and that became the whole thing. And God's best for us is not that. God's best for us is holiness so that we can walk with him and be in his presence. So even though we have salvation in Christ, it still means we need to fight a battle against sin because it's ugly. And we are separated from God. We could be separated from God by a metaphorical flood instead of an actual flood. So we need to be in relationship with God and and recognizing that our sin grieves him. So, like I said, God wants that relationship restored with all of creation. And he goes to tremendous lengths to get that relationship to be restored. I mean, we're going to see that over and over again in our Old Testament stories, and we see it again in Christ. But Christ was the once-for-all resolution to that. But we still have a choice as as people to to make as to whether or not we receive Christ. So we have to be on our side of that covenant as well. We can't just expect God to do it all for us. We have to receive what's already been done, and that's our part to play. Um, In that, we still have a a stewardship role in creation. We can't just expect that God is going to keep all the animals and all the plants, and we can do whatever we want. Um, I I think we definitely have to consider our choices and how we respond to things in our lives and how we um, support organizations that may be causing some harm to creation. Um, We need to rethink those things as believers in Christ because God cares about all of creation, and we have been given a role in supporting and protecting that creation. And as we know, we've done a pretty bad job with that in generations past. And so we as believers need to be on the forefront of creation care because of this covenant that God has made with us. So it's funny sometimes. I was thinking about the last time I saw a rainbow, and I believe it was um, a day I was driving back from Indian class in Indianapolis, and I was on the highway, and I'm, like, trying to take pictures of the rainbow. Driving on 65, I'm taking pictures with my phone. Okay, not the best choice. 
But, I mean, it, it's still an exciting occurrence because it's not something you see every single day. You know, they, you may see one once a year, maybe not even that often. Um, but they're not just water vapor and sunlight. I mean, it's, it's a really neat way that light is reflecting off the water and it's breaking into all the colors of the spectrum. I mean, that's cool. As a kid, creating that with a prism was just the neatest thing in the world. And then God can do it just in the atmosphere, and that's pretty amazing. Um, I think for me, every time I see a rainbow and reflecting on this story, it's going to be so much more about God desiring relationship with me. I mean, God cares enough to send his son. God cares enough to save a dude named Noah and having him build an ark and bring all the animals in order to keep relationship with humanity. I mean, God will go to incredible lengths to have relationship with us. And so in those days where I'm running away from God, I need to think about the rainbow. And that rainbow is Jesus. He's our link to God. And that will never change. Just as God has promised that he will never flood the earth again, destroying humanity, he is still there each and every day calling on us to remember him and to know him and to be in relationship with him. Um, And none of the ancient gods that are discussed in the Gilgamesh epic do anything to have that kind of relationship with humanity. It's always a push-pull of who's in charge and who's in power and who's, who's got the upper hand. Well, the God that we know doesn't operate that way. The God we know wants us to walk in the garden with him and to be in relationship with him. He wants us to trust him to do crazy things like build an ark. He wants us to steward all of creation even when it's, not within ourselves to be that self-sacrificing. He wants us to follow him and to trust him as our Lord. I mean, it's cool to me that this story is the beginning of our narrative lectionary year, to be able to get a, a taste of what it means to understand the Bible as a whole, because this is a story of redemption, The whole of scripture is a story of redemption, and it's available for each of us every day. You don't have to be an epic hero. You just have to follow him. So let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for incredible stories of your power and your might and your omnipotence. We thank you for stories of unlikely obedience. We thank you for the truth of what it means to follow you, to trust you, the God who is always seeking after us to save us, to rescue us from ourselves. God, rescue us from our corruption God, destroy that sin part of us that still clings on to this world. 
Lord, so that we can continue to grasp onto the glorious beauty of what you call us to in this covenant. Lord, teach us better how to walk with you, to embrace our vocation as stewards of creation. to be the people that listen and to remember that you have remembered us in Christ. Lord, we thank you for this gathering today, that you've called each of us to be here to hear and to taste and to see your word. Lord, help us to extend the truth of being remembered to those that we encounter this week. God, that they may hear that and know that they are known by you. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. I should have prayed for the food. So why don't I just pray for the food so we can do what needs to be done with that, wherever Josh is back there. Um, Lord God, we thank you again for this time we have together to fellowship as a community. God, I pray that this food would be a blessing to our bodies and that we would be a blessing to each other and to you. In these things we pray. Amen. Awesome. Cool.